start a lesson. So funny thing is that I, the, the one thing I really love about making lessons is, that the, uh, is making the title. I love, oh wait, I should take this mask off, shouldn't I? Thanks, babe, thanks. Um, uh, the, the title is my favorite part of making a lesson. For this one, I could not make a title. I could not make a title for my life. Uh, so this one's going to be called The Lesson on Philippians 3. <laughs> All right, let's, let's, let's start with some prefacing. So we, we, we're going through the book of Philippians, or the letter uh, to Philippi, and it's an amazing letter, right? And the one thing I really like about it is that it all surrounds this poem that's written out in chapter 2. Um, and it, it's talking about this, this painful irony that, that Jesus has, this love that even though he's perfect, he was made that sacrificial lamb that we were supposed to be, right? That the, 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 the debt that he paid, we were supposed to pay, right? And I'll, I'll speak for both me and Phil, but we'll never do enough justice to say how grand and great these words are from Paul yeah. and how much it really delivers the importance of what the gospel is, yeah. right? So in chapter one, we talked about uh, that living is Christ and the die is the gain. That's such a strong statement. Like, no matter what happens on this world, no matter what happens to us, we are winning. As, 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 a, as a disciple of Christ, we are winning. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's faithful to Christ is winning. Because right? they already know a love that, that just defies all logic. Right? Uh, we also talked about just even conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Right? That statement alone is already, that, that the one I just said earlier, is, is already you know, creating that little mini blueprint of an example of how to live that. Right? Philippians 2, we talked about the unity, Christian unity and humility. Knowing that you're not the main character. We are all part of a bigger thing. Yeah. Right? Even to the point where we have to see Jesus actually put that to, put that to action. Despite he was literally the spotlight. He didn't want any part of that. The only reason he did that was for us. Right? And then this, and that, you know, just being a light to the world and being nothing and being scared. I think Phil put that really well, right? Being nothing and being scared, right? So these two chapters just really build up to that poem that was in chapter two. Now, after the poem, Paul talks about his own past, right? But before I get to that, right? Context is key, right? So one of the important things about the city of Philippi is that it was known for having a lot of retired Roman soldiers or government officials, so this city was very patriotic to the Roman Empire. That's very important to know. So before this letter, Paul went to Philippi, shared the good news, made disciples, and then left. While he was gone, the Christians there were persecuted terribly. Obviously, because of the, the patriot, patriotism of the, of the, uh, the Roman leaders and, and whatnot. So... In response, Paul writes this letter and shows us, like, don't give up. You guys are doing so good. Yeah. Like, out of a lot of the churches around the Mediterranean, like, you guys are doing very, very good, especially despite the circumstances. Right. Now, during all this, right, and I promise we'll get to chapter three. Um, during all this, Paul 
has faced a lot of persecution himself by both the Roman Empire, the Roman military, and the Jewish leaders. Why? Well, he's seen as, as a hypocrite, kind of. Right? Because before he was a Christian, he was literally in the shoes of these people persecuting Christians. Yeah. Even, even more so, to the point where he actually got them killed, imprisoned, tortured. Not because he was evil, right? No, like, no one does that for just no reason, right? There's a justice behind it. But I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and read uh, what Paul said about this in response to, uh, to, to what the Jewish leaders in the Roman Empire said. Amen. It says, in, uh, starting verse 1, find, Oh, and I'm reading the NET translation, uh, so if you want to take a couple seconds to go there if you're reading digitally. Um, but this, just, this translation best communicates what Paul is saying here. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write this again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God. Exult in Christ Jesus and do not rely on human credentials. Though mine too are significant, if someone thinks he has a good reason to put confidence in human credentials, I have more. I will circumcise on the eighth day, from the people of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. My zeal, in my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. But these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all these things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering, and to be like him in his death. And so, somehow, to attain the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Yeah. It's a very powerful statement. All right. So let's, let's, let's break down what he's trying to say here. Well, again, Paul was a religious leader. He, in fact, not only was he a religious leader, but he was like the, the pinnacle, the... the, the archetype of of anything jewish he was the the perfect of perfection he knew the law he probably memorized the whole torah right he was he was properly circumcised on the eighth day like that like there was all these precise things that he actually went through and he did it with zeal he did everything with a zealous passion so if Again, like he said, if anyone had a reason to be right and to be seen as perfect, it would be him. Based on whatever, everything he's testified about himself. Right? He's responding to these religious leaders and the Roman Empire saying, you're right. Yeah, I, I, like, I was living that life of perfection. Right? 
If anyone had a reason, it would be me. Now, but what did he say about these, these, these things that he lived by? These things that he saw originally as assets? Well, let's go back to that scripture. It said, but these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung. So the funny thing is that the word dung was actually slightly mistranslated. It's actually a lot more derogatory. Uh, it's like the S word, right? Uh, you, you can kind of say Paul kind of cursed. Uh, but but what, what, what's important here is that's the gravity of how insignificant he saw his past life. My first point, first of two points, is that our greatest successes mean nothing to the gospel. Our greatest successes mean nothing to the gospel. Before I was actually a disciple of Christ, before I became a Christian and, and declared my, my allegiance to Christ, I was actually born and raised in a United Methodist church. You know, I went to, you know, I went to Sunday school during my elementary years. Uh, I went to sermons. Uh, I, I attended youth group. I even became a, a little Bible, like the elementary school Bible study teacher uh, for the, the elementary guys. I was a, I was a, a picture-perfect Christian guy, right? Uh, I went to church and, you know, I hung out with people. I, I, you know, I would read the Bible when someone told me to do it. <laughs> I saw myself, all right, I'm all right. I'm doing good here, right? I'm doing fine. Have you guys been in that shoe? Have you guys been in that position? We always, always find ourselves in a position of comfort, of like, oh, I'm doing okay, right? I, in fact, I'm not just doing okay, but I am doing perfectly fine. I am an example of a Christian, or I'm an example of a, of a model person in today's society. There's no reason for me to strive for better, right? Now, better can go two ways. Better as in performance better, like, you know, just, just doing well in school and stuff. Or, just, you know, better at the heart. Better at being real, right? If anyone was good at being real, it would be Paul. He starts off by saying, yeah, I live the life of what you see as perfection. Right? But listen, there's this huge, awesome thing that happened by this one awesome dude named Jesus. And because of what he's done and how much he loves me, everything I've done in the past means literally nothing at all. Garbage. It's zero value. In fact, actually negative value. He sees it as liabilities. Now, what's he saying there? I, th- I think it's, it's, it's dangerous to say that they're liabilities because... Without his knowledge of the scriptures, maybe he would not have reached many hearts. But why is he saying liabilities? Well, think of it this way. I was raised in a church, right? And therefore, I I thought, okay, because I was raised in this place, I'm doing fine. I go to campus, you know, I go to school, doing my, you know, doing, you know, studying, studying out my major, 
And, you know, someone reaches out to me and says, like, hey, have you, have you been, you know, have you ever studied out the Bible for yourself? You know, and, and I'll be like, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm all right. Because I thought I was okay, that kept me from learning more. That kept me from going deeper and actually seeing my own heart for where it's at. The true value and the liability I had in my heart. God isn't calling you to be perfect. There's a quote by a philosopher that I don't think any of you guys know. His name is Socrates. (laughs) Um, But he says this. The only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. Right? The only true wisdom is it knowing you know nothing. That's the same thing that goes with righteousness, right? The subtitle for this uh, for this this chunk of scripture was actually true righteousness versus false righteousness, right? False righteousness actually makes you assume that you know everything. What is you know what's right, but building off of Socrates' quote, true righteousness is knowing you have no righteousness we are people we are we are a group of sinners we know nothing of righteousness we can do all we want we can come to church every single sunday right we can we can reach out to all the people we want we can study the bible with all the people we want but that doesn't make us righteous that just reminds us how imperfect we are what successes and assets keep you from seeing the truth I'll ask that again. What successes and assets keep you from seeing the truth? Paul emphasizes that street cred, you know, can get in the way of actually having real cred, you know? (laughs) So where do we go from here? Well, we'll find the answer in Philippians 3, verse 12 through 21. Here's what it says. Now that I've already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of, what, of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Basically, he's not perfect either. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are, that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let those of us who are perfect embrace this point of view. If you think otherwise, God will reveal to you your error of your ways. Nevertheless, let us live up to the standard that we have already attained. Be imitators of me, brothers and sisters, and watch carefully those who are living this way, just as you have us as an example. For many live about whom I have often told you, and now with tears I tell you that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is the belly. They exult in their shame and they think about earthly things. But our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. And we also await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of his glorious body by means of that power by which he is able to subject all things to himself. My second point. Couldn't decide between what to say for this one, but they basically mean the same thing. 
Um, perfection is unwanted. God doesn't want perfection because he already knows you're not perfect. But along with that, like I said before, your past successes mean nothing to the gospel. That may sound kind of harsh, right? But the beautiful thing about that is that your past failures and your past mistakes mean nothing at all to the gospel. Nothing at all. Paul says again, these, these things I've done, liabilities. I've made mistakes there in seeing that they were valuable. I lived a life where I believed this was the truest thing. But again, he says with tears, he said, those guys are living evil now. They're living out this, this evil that they see as, as passionately convicting and true. But they got so caught up in legalism, the, the, the following of the law for the sake of following laws and not actually seeing the heart behind it, making it so impossible for, for even the lowliest people to actually know who God is. That's what they're combating here. Perfection is unwanted. Right? For those of you who are in a relationship, I'm sorry for the single guys and girls. I'm so sorry. But for those who are in a relationship, I guess it could be with your family. Right? Does your loved ones expect perfection from you? Do you expect perfection from your, from your loved ones? That's the exact same standards that God has for you. He loves you. Right? And that is not to say he's looking forward to the great things that he has planned for you. Because he does. He's just saying that's not what's going to earn love from him. Don't forget about the dance of grace. That we don't do these things to earn the grace. But we do it because we've already received it. Don't forget that. Another analogy that I like to use is just kind of like sharing a passion with someone, right? Like, for example, me, I love fly fishing. I love fly fishing so much. Like, I was, I was planning to go last Saturday, but, but uh, I don't know what happened. Josh, I don't know. <laughs> um, but, but I love fly fishing, and I, I want to take out as many people as I want because I want to, I want to show them, like, this is so fun, Right? Uh, one of great examples is my fiance Sarah. Um, I love to go fishing, and I, I, I always want to go with her. I just want to show her like what it's about, right? And, and of course, yeah, I'm like, hey, you should do some practicing on the field, like with casting before we go, because you're not gonna catch anything if you don't practice first. But I'm not saying you'll be perfect. Just come with me, you know. Don't be perfect. If you were gonna wait for the clouds to align. Or wait for that exact moment. You're never going to get anything done. Yeah. Nothing's going to happen. So again, God doesn't expect perfection from you. God doesn't care about your past mistakes. Mm. God doesn't call you to already be perfect. What does that mean? That means maybe knowing everything. Right? We live in a, in a very college town place. You know, academia is a very important thing, which is true. It is 
it is it's a beautiful thing. God has given us knowledge to, to, to understand him more. Right? But it's not the end-all, be-all. Living up to everyone's standards. I'm sure a lot of us here know what it, what it means to be a people pleaser. I myself included. But again, that's not the end-all, be-all. Uh, to be the best or the most successful. Again, we live in a place of high standards. Amen? Yeah. Which is not a bad thing again. But once again, that is not... The end-all be-all. Be- thank you. Thank you. The end-all be-all. Right? Another quote by another person that is uh, obsolete. Uh, Nick, uh, Machiavelli uh, says, The ends justify the means. Right. I've had a lot of conflicts with that statement. Like it's like, oh, that sounds kind of uh, not moral and ethical. But it depends what your means and what your ends are. Right. The gospel's the same thing. What's the ends? Well, the ends is to have a relationship with God, to be with Jesus, to be in step with the Spirit. What are the means? Maybe that means. Actually reading your Bible. huh? Being in, in fellowship with people who are in the same page. Connecting with people who want to be in the same page. Reaching out. Loving the people next to you. Being real with yourself. Alright? In some ways, that could be through knowledge. That could be through activities. That could be through fun. That could be through skills that you have. But again, those things are the means to the ends. Life is all about imperfection. Life is all about imperfections. Don't demonize the blemishes. Right? That's one thing I want to correct. Don't, don't demonize those blemishes. Right? We are saying that imperfection is not like the worst thing, but we also don't want to demonize them. Why? Well, the one beautiful thing about blemishes and the imperfections of our lives is that we can use those not to shame ourselves, but to amplify the one who is perfect. Jesus lived a perfect life, full of love, sacrifice. He was perfect. And he he did all this without sin. Though he was tempted because he was human, he did it with perfection. Let your blemishes actually amplify the perfect one. Things go two ways. Whatever, your, whatever our past looked like, no matter how distasteful it looks, based on the world's judgment, God has different plans for you. God knows you're not perfect, and that's okay. Right? But again, you can't wait for the clouds to align. You can't wait to, for that perfect moment. You can't be like, oh, if I studied more, I'll be set. If I, if I, if I looked at all of the Bible, I'll be set. If I, if I study with four people a week, I'll be set. If I, if I have my quiet time every day, I'll be set. Those, all, those are all good things. Those are all good things. But those, aren't gonna, those are not things that gonna, that's going to earn you perfection or earn you the route to, to actually knowing God. One of the last things I want to say is that... Um, Paul mentioned about being, 
having a citizenship in heaven, right? That's very important, to, especially to the people in Philippi, right? A very patriotic place, right? Very, all those people say, I'm a citizen of the Roman Empire, right? I'm a citizen of the Roman Empire. I am, yeah. But Paul is speaking to their hearts and said, if you're a disciple, your, your citizenship is no longer with Rome. You don't stand by what they do. You stand by what Christ does. Yeah. Same thing for us guys. Like, we may have a, a legal citizenship to the U.S. Or if, if you're, you're an immigrant here, that's fine too. Um, or to any other country that you're from. As a disciple, our life, our true citizenship is with Christ. Yeah. It's with heaven. Don't forget that. What does all this look like to you, though? Right? I honestly don't have any practicals for this. I don't. This is, this is all up to you, each and every one of you, to really look, this, look into this for yourself. Amen. I can't say, oh, look at all these things. Look, study this out. Um, read this. Because it's, it's going to look completely different for each and every one of you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And even if I said practicals, I'm sure even I know in my own head, I'll think, oh, if I do that practical, I'll earn this. Right. So it's just going to go completely backwards. You got to figure it out for yourself. Oh, geez. So, guys, don't forget. That's all I have to say. But don't forget these two things that God doesn't care about your skills and 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 the, the successes you have. But he doesn't care about your failures either. He just cares about you and whether you're with him or not. Paul gives us a great blueprint because he says, imitate me, right? Look what I'm doing. Look what I'm saying here. Imitate this. But know that he is imitating Christ. Don't forget that. So as we, as we take communion, guys, um, before I pray, let's, let's actually take this moment of communion to remember the cross, to remember what Jesus has done for us, and to remember that, that we, are, we are able to take communion because we're not perfect, because, because God is so loving to us, despite our imperfections and our blemishes. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Dear Father, uh, God, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is James Lim, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 1030 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.